This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. All right, all right, all right. Welcome to another episode of I Know That Face, our podcast which honours the often underappreciated by the masses work of character actors. I'm Stephen Portia. My name is Andrew Carroll. And uh, we're back from our winter break, and despite my intro, we're not talking about Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, I'm still confused about why, you, why you're doing that. Well, you know, we're talking about an actress he's worked with in an iconic indie film, and that is Queen of the Indies, Parker Posey. Ooh. Uh, Andrew, run down her history. Parker Posey was born in 1968 in Baltimore, Maryland. She studied drama at Purchase College in New York, and her film debut came in 1993 with Richard Linklater's Dazed and Confused. All right, all right, all right, from the intro. Independent cinema became Posey's bread and butter from then on. Throughout the latter half of the 90s, she starred in 32 independent features, including Party Girl, The Doom Generation, Kicking and Screaming, The Day Trippers, and The House of Yes. Beginning with 1996's Waiting for Guffman, she has starred in five of Christopher Guest's mockumentaries, including Best in Show and A Mighty Wind. Parker also began to appear in supporting roles in big-budget studio films like You've Got Mail, Scream 3, Laws of Attraction, and Blade Trinity. Beginning with 2007's The Return of Jezebel James, Posey began a long and successful TV career which included turns in Boston Legal, Granite Flats and Lost in Space. More recent film roles include supporting parts in Woody Allen's Café Society, Koganada's Columbus and Ari Aster's Bo is Afraid. She will appear this year in the June Squibb vehicle Thelma and the third season of The White Lotus in 2025. In 2018 she wrote her memoir You're on an Airplane, a self-mythologising memoir. Centred on the idea that the reader is sitting next to Posey on an airplane, the book mixes personal... Was that quiet enough for you? No, perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Personal anecdotes from her career, random observations, stories about her life, and homemade photo collages. I would say we're recording this in my bedroom, and I have that book, and I'm making my way through it at the minute. But, uh, Andrew, you seemed, while I was setting up, very fascinated with the book. Oh, yeah, just blazed through um, the the chapter on... The Days Confused, yeah. Some interesting tidbits in there. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so uh, Parker Posey was my suggestion to cover, and um, the reasons I, I want to do it are twofold. One, you know, she's been in the news a bit lately. You know, she was cast in the much-anticipated third season of um, the anthology series, uh, The White Lotus, a show I adore. And um, the previous two seasons of that series had these really star-studded but also cool casts where you're like, what would it be like if Alexandra Daddario, Sidney Sweeney, Jennifer Coolidge and Steve Zahn were trapped in a Hawaiian hotel? Um, or if, you know, Tom Hollander and Jennifer Coolidge hung out in Sicily or Aubrey Plaza and Theo James. So part of it's kind of the, the alchemy of people. Mm. So there was a lot of anticipation for the third Thailand set series, but also like the announcement of who was going to be in it and uh, start shooting this month. And such names as Park Posey. Carrie Coon, Jason Isaacs, Michelle Monaghan, Scott Glenn, and your favourite, Walton Goggins. Mm. Um, I love me some Walton. Walton, um, what's that Onion headline you always quote? Oh, Walton Goggins named 2012's, named, named Walton Goggins of the Year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's really, like really that. good. But, um, but uh, on top of that, like Posey, after kind of what felt like a bit of a dormant period for her around like the late 2000s, early 2010s, where she was mostly in like indie movies where like I've, I've honestly never heard of mm. or was in kind of guest appearances in big shows she was making. Um, she recently has had a bit of a resurgence like that you mentioned. Um, when that is, is sort of up for debate. I remember her being very good in Columbus, the, the Kagan Adam movie you mentioned. I reviewed that for Head Stuff. She's had big roles in Lost in Space and The Staircase. She's in the only just released Mr. and Mrs. Smith show haven't gotten to her episodes yet sadly um and then she has that very memorable sort of spoilery role in Ari Aster's head-scratching existential horror comedy Bo's Afraid so it felt like a right time to cover for that 
But my other reason, more selfish reason, is that like over the past year or so, I've just been watching a lot of US indie dramedies or comedy dramas mm. from the 90s. And I think it started the Rewatchables podcast did an episode about Kicking and Screaming, which Posey is in. And I watched the movie and really enjoyed it. And then I was like, oh, I should watch Bonebach's other movies. And then I started, was like, oh, I should watch Whit Stillman's other movies. <laughs> or I should watch Cameron Crowe's movies from that time. And then suddenly I'd watched a bunch. So I thought, you know, might as well make some content yeah. out of them. Well, I can't say I understand why you put yourself through that. And I don't know why you had to put me through it as well. Well, but... okay, Andrew, <laughs> there are your reviews. You, 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 there were a lot of three-star reviews. There, you, there, you, that doesn't mean goods to oh, that on. was me being generous to you oh um see because i was a bit worried about doing this with you because I, I think the films are an acquired taste that maybe you don't possess but whatever um <laughs> but what i like about them even the less good ones i'm like i watched one with posy in it called sleep with me specifically for this which uh, i did not rate too highly so i'm not gonna be talking about it but um it has a really good quentin tarantino todd field cameo though um where they're talking about top gun but um, what I really like about them is that they're generally about people in their 20s or early 30s trying to navigate through life, be it like college or work or romance. So there's a kind of a relatability angle in it for me. But um, they're also a bit more naturalistic, like their comedy sort of comes from characters just talking and interacting with each other and the awkward scenarios they find themselves in rather than kind of like big, broad shenanigans that are a bit like hard to relate to. And when the writing is really good and snappy saying like kicking and screaming are the day trippers and you have a really good young cast and directors who know how to shoot those conversations in a compelling way they can be a real vibe the movies have their moments they do I will, I will give you that much and there's a bit of an ethnographic element for me too to watch these movies because at least the present day ones because it's like this was just before the internet boom and it's not like you couldn't make these movies now because like Baumbach still pretty much does with Gerwig with like Mistress America and Francis Ha and Greenberg but like in Kicking and Screaming, you really feel like it's a bunch of friends having inane conversations with each other because they're really bored and they might be less bored with the internet. That's a fair point. Yeah. And, like if the day trippers took place now, Hope Davis, she'd be doing some internet stalking. Like she probably wouldn't be, I'm going to trek all the way into New York City. Yeah, that's true. So yeah. um, that's cool. But um, <laughs> <laughs> Andrew's not impressed. But um, you you watch a bunch of these indies back to back and you you start seeing like the same actors over and over again. So like Parker Posey did like 25 of these. Yeah. And some of them I really wanted to, I still like, I'm excited to watch even after this. Like I've never seen Party Girl. I've never seen Clock Watchers. We're only touching the iceberg here. But like you always see like Bridget Fonda. You always see Campbell Scott, Eric Stoltz, Joey Lauren Adams, Josh Hamilton and my dude. Chris Eigman, <laughs> who I love. <laughs> I knew I'd seen him somewhere before, but I took a look through the... Malcolm in the Middle, maybe. Malcolm in the Middle is probably it. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. he played... There, I think he had a run on Malcolm in the Middle where he played a teacher who taught Malcolm. Mm. And it, he was meant to be kind of... The idea was that he was like an older version of Malcolm. Mm -hmm. And they were yeah. both kind of like, I hate the world. Yeah. Um, but uh, he's in the first three Noah Baumbach movies... First three Whit Stillman movies never does anything of that much note again, yeah. <laughs> but like will pop up from time to time. Always happy to see him. But mm. those those six movies incredible. Well, five of them. One of them Noah bound back to sound. But anyway, um, I think those six movies will make a good pot someday. But listen, I, I after the your reaction to Posey, I'm gonna maybe two years, <laughs> three years from now, our last episode. But um, back to Posey though. I think there's a good through line throughout these movies. Maybe not as much in Dazed, but in the others of her kind of playing these cheery, irreverent, slightly or very eccentric characters who always kind of wind up rebelling against her more conventional surroundings. Mm. So um, I'm excited to explore it. Will we talk about Days and Confused? Let's go for it. Yeah. It's the last day of the semester at Lee High School in Austin, Texas, and the students are looking forward to a summer of fun. 
The incoming seniors must face several challenges before that, including Randall Pink Floyd's, Great. played by Jason London, refusal to sign a sobriety wa- waiver, the desperate search for a party, and the hazing rituals the incoming freshmen have to go through. Excuse me, thank you. school, but the entire community seems to be supporting this, you know, or at least turn their heads. I mean, they apparently have permission to use the parking lot. Right. No parents seem to mind. You know, they're selling concessions, you know, I mean, <laughs> I know. That's a very slight summary of the movie, but, you know, it's more of a hangout vibe. It's hard to sum up when there's, like, 25 main characters. And, yeah, and most of them only have about two minutes of screen time. Yeah. Two yeah, minutes yeah. of, like... And um, it's class. It's so good. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I love Days and Confused. This is the movie I like the most on this list. Yeah, it's just, like, a fun hangout movie with lots to say about growing up. And despite only being like a hundred minutes long, it acts like it has nothing but time on its hands, which is kind of what I like about it as well. Um, I suppose if you're smoking as much as these characters are, it probably feels like you have nothing but time on your hands. And I think it's a look into a world that is sort of similar, but very different to our own. Um, you know, like we, are, we were all teenagers at one stage, but we were never these this kind of teenagers, really. Um, uh, we can all relate to hanging out with a few beers. It's in the hazing rituals and so-called free love. Getting the things, shot at. Yeah, and getting shot at. The things start to get a little murky. But that's cinema. You yeah. know, it stands as a time capsule to a bygone era, era warts and all. Um, and yeah, like we said, a cast stacked to the high heavens with like future stars and supporting actors. Absolutely none of whom we've covered before this. But, uh, you know, there's Matthew McConaughey, Jason yeah, sure. London, uh, Rory Cochran. Um, um, Adam Goldberg. Adam love. Goldberg, yeah, he's um, great. Um, Nikki Cat. Who's awesome? Who's the guy who yeah, gets into the fight yeah. with? Um, uh, with Adam Goldberg, yeah. Mila Jovovich. Mila Jovovich. Renny Zellweger is in it, but like I didn't Barely. notice her. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, my housemate point. My housemate. I watched it with my housemate. She didn't like it. This movie that much. But she was the one to spot Renee as Renee oh, Zellweger. Yeah. Um, is there anyone else we're missing? Uh, ben, ben, ben Affleck, Affleck of yeah, course. Yeah. Um, no, it's got an insane cast. But yeah, no, you're right about the time thing because that's kind of why I like these movies as a whole, but particularly in Days and Confused, is that like you really believe in the world so that when things escalate into more like kind of out of the day scenarios like mm. people getting shot at because mm. they like destroyed a mailbox or Adam Goldberg and Nikki Kat getting into the fight at the party or the kids getting the revenge on yeah. the Affleck for hazing them it all feels really earned and like a natural escalation yeah yeah, which absolutely. I love um, and yeah just such a good vibe banger soundtrack yeah and because a lot of people complain about there being too much music and stuff now in movies and mm-hmm. like this movie is like wall-to-wall sound but it sort of works because like everyone is kind of seeking a party or they're constantly yeah. in cars or in bars and it's such a euphoric night for yeah. like a lot of the, the younger people in the cast that yeah. like it just yeah. sort of feels right mm. um yeah no it's unbelievable it's so good and it's it, there's a kind of melancholy at the end of it too because when they're all on the football field mm. and they're all kind of moaning about their lives and being yeah, like, oh, I just can't yeah. wait to get out of this town. Seriously, these are the best days of my life. Shoot me now. And you're <laughs> kind of watching as a 29-year-old being like, they're going to be. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Treasure your youth. You yeah. Know? So, um, yeah, no, I really loved it. Yeah. It was really fun rewatch. But like like we were saying at the start, you know, a lot of these actors really only have two minutes of like 
significant screen time. You know, they'll appear, appear in the background loads. Like Mila Jovovich, it may as well be a, a glorified extra. There's the, the only the this only real bit that she has is when she's entranced by like her own lighter, yeah, which is yeah. funny. But um, but and po- I think Posey really gets short shrift. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like the bit at the start, she's like, "All right, you little bitches." That's and her big scene. They're covering them in ke- the girls in ketchup and flour and eggs and making them walk around with a dog collar. Both times I've watched this made me viscerally angry. This yeah, scene. I yeah. really like. Uh, we talked about it with everybody wants some and. <laughs> I do agree, like, depiction does not equal endorsement. I don't think Richard Linklater likes hazing, but I think he's, like, showing the way it was mm. in America. And I just think America has this awful obsession with hazing. And um, I even prefer, in Days and Confused, to Everybody Wants Some, that it cuts from Parker Posey doing that, like, awful speech where she's, like, Orly Ermy in, like, Full Metal Jacket. Like, why are you mm. maggots? Like, it's, right. it's, that, it's that level. A psychopath. Yeah. And some of the adult seniors are like watching on and laughing and think it's hysterical but that cuts back to Adam Goldberg being like why, why do we allow this like, <laughs> like they were allowed to rent the car park yeah. to do this why <laughs> like it's really really funny um but yeah and apparently I, I was reading that there's like this movie was shot in like a, a very improvisational style as a lot of Linklater movies are mm. to the extent that the studio were a little bit wary of it but apparently a lot of Parker Posey's lines in the scene were improvised so I kind of have the debate of whether is the role underwritten or was it not really much of a role to begin with and mm. Parker Posey is raising it? Yeah, because yeah. Because there's a lot of scenes throughout the movie where she's kind of not really got much to do in the scene but is like, you can tell she's bringing so much energy to it. Yeah. The scene where she meets Watterson at the... That's in the book. That's in this here book. Oh, yeah, oh yeah. You, yeah. you read and I haven't. Yeah, I haven't well, got to this chapter. Um... Oh, this is, this is great. It's a prop. Some dead air, yeah. Um, we can cut... The, we'll cut around yeah. it. yeah. <laughs> Four hours uh, later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it starts, I introduced myself to McConaughey and explained Darla real quick that she grew up with older brothers in a broken home and it's tough but fun, which is how Posey thought of the character. I don't think that was on the page. Mm. Um, we rolled soon after and when he and his posse strolled in, he came into the joint and slapped my ass and said, hey, Darla, that's what guys did back then. And those days, it was a compliment. <laughs> well, that, the interesting thing is she goes up towards him in the scene anyway, that is in the movie and they're all like, on, hey, hey, she walks up to him, looks him in the eye, doesn't say anything and just grabs his ass <laughs> and then walks away without really acknowledging it. And then as she's walking away, he kind of gives her a little spank and kind of checks her out. But it's like, it's like not even like in the foreground of the scene, like you might miss it. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah. it's just Lodita. Same with there's a part where they're at the big party at the end. And she's dancing and she's doing this like mad dance with like her head and kind of pelvic thrusting or whatever. And then someone's carrying a beer that they drop, they yeah, drop, they, fall. Full of, they fucking wipe out. And yeah. then she just drops to the floor yeah. laughing with them. And it's so funny. <laughs> but it's like, it feels like Linklater just like rolled camera and just like, it was just something he caught naturally, mm. you know? Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of energy. The only, but the, the pro- issue is though that like, I think she's like the secondary villain of the movie. And Ben Affleck gets a huge kind of, um, payback that's really satisfying yeah, and I sort yeah. of wish she did I wanted Sabrina the girl that she hazed to give her comeuppance or something there's the little bit at the party where um, she's with Anthony Rapp's character and they're kind of like being all cute mm. and Parker Posey's like air raid like even at the party that even though the hazing mm. is done yeah, and, and she's like you're dead next year yeah yeah everyone stands her ground <laughs> yeah. and, and Anthony Rapp's like don't do it and she doesn't and then she's like you're dead next year. And then you're like, well, that's the end of that plot. Mm, like, yeah. is she dead next year? Like, you kind of want her to kind of get something back or whatever. Yeah. Well, the thing is about that, the hazing scene in, um, the particularly the girls one, is that it, I don't want to say this for all the characters, but they make, they make it seem like they're having a bit more fun 
everyone involved as opposed to the the boys hazing where they're just it's just violence <laughs> yeah no the, the the boys hazing is 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 very um it's actually a bit tough to watch because the kids are like no no i don't want to do it yeah, i don't want to yeah. get it and ben affleck's like squeal you little pig or whatever <laughs> and again it's a bit like and and even i think there's parker posey clearly has like a backstory as to why darla is the way she is but like you sort of understand, like, it's told throughout the movie why Affleck does that, where he's just, like, this kind of angry testosterone guy who's mm. maybe a bit pissed off. He failed his year, and he's, like, taking it out on the younger students. Yeah. Um, he's kind of a joke, and that's the way he asserts his dominance. Mm. But you don't really get that with Darla, at least spoken in the movie. Yeah, you know? yeah. But um, still, when he's balancing, like, 30 characters, like, I'll, I'll forgive it. It's just kind of, well, just speaking about Posey, it's a little frustrating. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Any other thoughts? Um... Well, you know, for that, for those two minutes she has of significant screen time, what two minutes there? Inc- you can't argue against that charisma. Absolutely. Um, great. So we move on to Kick and Screaming. Yes, sure. Grover, played by Josh Hamilton, is one of five college graduates. The other four being waist, Rich Wastrel, Max Belmont, played by Chris Eigman. Legend. He- just so, so good. Just, he's just killing it. I'd rather be bow hunting. So yeah. This can't be happening. That guy would rather be bow hunting. <laughs> Uh, the inert Skippy, played by Jason Wiles. Anxious idiot Otis, played by Carlos Jacot. Also very funny. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Cookie man. <laughs> <laughs> and perpetual student Chet, played by Eric Stoltz. Grover has decided against following his girlfriend Jane, played by Olivia Diabo, to Prague, and instead moves in with his four friends. Together they get drunk, sleep around, and generally piss about in search of a cure to their endless ennui. My classes? Let's talk about your classes, okay? Your dinosaur classes and all that shit. Let's talk about your friends. Let's talk about how you guys are all in love with each other and how sick you make me with your stupid games, those trivia games. Ding, Max loves Grover. Ding, Skippy does Otis. Ding, they all do each other and and it drives me nuts. Ding that, Skippy, get a fucking life. Nice time store psychoanalysis. You know what, I can't stand you. I can't stand that. You know, your, your shoes, your pants, that shirt you're wearing, your hair. Your hair drives me crazy. Just get out, okay? I have homework to do. Just get out. Get out. Get out. 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 Go. Go. Out. <laughs> I thought your mildly positive letterbox review for this was really savage and it affronted me. Oh, sensible chuckle the movie. <laughs> yeah. 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 But it's not wrong, so I can't really it, Yeah, I just meant that there's like there's no la- uh, belly laugh moments. Every time something funny happens, you're like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh my. <laughs> <laughs> my my spectacle just fell out. Yeah. My monocle. Um it's the, what's the you know the the Emperor in Futurama, the Rower. More grapes! Yeah. It's like his favourite movie. Hedonism bot. Hedonism yeah. bot. Um, here's what I love about King and Screaming. I'll defend it. The movie begins with Grover, Josh Hamilton, as you've said. Uh, his girlfriend, Jane, they break up at their college graduation party because she wants to study in Prague. And you sense that he wants to stay with this group of friends in the town and perhaps is not ready for such a big change. And he's defensive about the whole thing and is kind of being an asshole. Like, where he's just the thing where... He's like, oh, I've been to Prague. Well, I haven't been to Prague, but like, I, you know the thing, you know, stuff shaving your armpits, read unbearable lightness of being, you know, like that's all that stuff. Um, very snappy script. 
to the extent that um do you ever see the criterion box for kicking and screaming no it just it says the words kicking and screaming a film by noah baumbach and then it's just quotes from the movie in speech pool. <laughs> uh, so it's like, you know, um, the bit where Chris Eigman's character goes on the date with the girl and she says on the date that like, oh, it's my birthday tomorrow. He's like, oh, no, this is terrible. And she's like, why? And he's like, well, like, if I buy you a present, I'm coming on too strong. If I don't buy you a present, I seem cheap. I've inherited a tragedy. <laughs> I've inherited a tragedy is on the box. Um, same with like uh, when Grover's talking to Eric Stoltz's bartender and he's like, I love a bartender who drinks, otherwise I feel like I'm being poisoned. <laughs> All that, like it's just bon mo after bon mo, you know? But anyway, Jane's in Prague. While Jane's in Prague, you kind of watch Grover and his friends drink, talk shite, kind of lay the world to rights, reminisce about college and like there's the whole like, I'm nostalgic about conversations I had yesterday. Um and while they are very clever and erudite in some respects and fun to listen to, it soon becomes clear like they're not as cool as they think. No. And any person outside of their friend group tells them, like Parker Posey's character, and they're not kind of ready for a real world away from academia. Mm. And the realization dawns for Grover that like he probably should have went to Prague with Jane. And the movie starts to flash back in time more and more to like their early days as a couple, which is really romantic. And you realize so much of the thing Grover does in the present without Jane are like tied to her, like Grover chains smokes throughout the movie. He only starts smoking because Jane smoked. The bar where him and his friends spend most of their time, Jane introduced them to. And what kind of starts off as this kind of quirky observational dramedy of people not ready to accept that college is over evolves into this really bittersweet story of a guy who kind of fumbled a relationship because he was arrogant or scared. Mm. And um, I think the last two scenes of this are knockout. The bit where Grover spontaneously decides to fly to Prague to see Jane and he's talking to the check-in desk lady who's played by Jessica Hecht, Susan mm. from France, and it doesn't go as you expect. And then that leads into the flashback to the moment where Grover and Jane fell in love, and it's just two incredible scenes, like two really good monologues from Josh Hamilton. Um, but yeah, what do you think? And aside from Sensible Trickle, the movie. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like you said, it's a film about men who have no idea what they want and are willing to squander the most boring but also most athletic years of their lives. Um, you know, the years without bad knees and an achy back uh, on or a sinusitis that or one sinusitis, clear or a sinusitis that one clear yeah, yeah. Um, my thoughts are with you brother yeah. <laughs> on thinking about things that don't matter and pursuing rim- women that they don't really care about um, and in comparison the women of the movie the few that there are are light years ahead of the men in terms of their focus drive and commitment to doing anything to improve their lives uh, so it is with Jane who moves to Prague to study and eventually realises uh, her boyfriend Grover is a good for nothing wastrel <laughs> Uh, for now at least and um, he'll make it through yeah yeah, I'm sure and the same can be said for Miami who's Parker Posey's character who slowly comes to realise that her boyfriend Skippy really only wants to sit around rather than chase after anything that should matter to him including her and it's amusing and relaxing it's an amusing and relaxing movie for the most part but it matches the energy of its characters a little too much I felt in that not much happens at all really it's a little like a Brett Easton Ellis novel just without the depraved violence and hard drugs and let's be real, a depraved violence and hard drugs help any movie. Look, if this movie took a really depraved turn, wouldn't be against it. No, no, me neither. Yeah, if the characters didn't in movies like these did a little more coke, I think we'd all have a better time. <laughs> <laughs> and in terms of, it, like, just in terms of Posey's character, I think her actions in the sort of culmination of her plotline, they make the most sense. I think she needs to shake her life loose. And that includes giving Skippy the heave-ho. Exactly, yeah. So she cheats on him with Max, I think. Eigman. Eigman, yeah, even, <laughs> and uh, and breaks it to him in a way that's like really kind of heartbreaking. I found heartbreaking, but maybe the funniest part of the movie. Also very funny, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. um, for those who haven't seen the movie, 
they're kind of snapping at each other. He says the thing about like, oh, you should apply for this school. I've always wanted to go there. And she's like, why don't you go there? <laughs> and then she's like, do you mind if we just like, you know, what's, what's the, I have the words here that specifically she says. Oh yeah. Can we just admit some lies that we may have told each other? And then she's like, I'm going to write it down. And she writes down on a notepad, I cheated on you. <laughs> and then takes the notepad back, adds a frowny face picture. And they would like, I think what you say, kind of genuine sincerity and pathos as like, I'm sorry. And mm. it's both funny and sad, while also being kind of a really inventive way of doing that kind of scene. But even better is that like, the movie cuts back to the aftermath of that revelation and they kind of sit in it like because mm. Miami and Skippy have this big fight and then she kind of lays into him a bit like how annoying all their friends were because like she's kind of been excluded by them like mm. throughout the movie yeah and she says like the way your friends go on they drive me nuts get a fucking life Skippy <laughs> <laughs> such a funny line um, but then as the argument goes on and on she gets kind of more random in her complaints of Skippy and she says like I can't stand you your shoes your pants that shirt you're wearing your hair your hair drives me crazy just get out <laughs> and he starts laughing and then she starts laughing and they like kind of catch how absurd the whole thing is and uh, just a really human moment mm. that I liked uh, his hair is stupid though it's a it's a choice it's know? a choice yeah it um, certainly is Andrew, I don't. We we don't usually do like a lead into ads on this mm. podcast, but for good fun. reason. I've got, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, we love all the show. I'm actually loving Young Young Hot Guys podcast. I only started listening to that yesterday. It's very so funny. Good. Yeah, I went to see Shane Danny Byrne do stand up and host on the strength of how much mm. I like Young Hot Guys. But um, no, Headstuff is turning ten years old, and um, I for one. Don't know where I'd be without head stuff. I mean, uh, when I was first started writing about film, I had my own blog, but I didn't know if I was any good, and I still don't. But um, <laughs> I remember submitting a review to the Hateful Eight of the Hateful Eight, the Quentin Tarantino movie, to them, and they published it when I was really young, and um, it gave me the confidence to kind of keep going at it. And then a few years later, I became co-film editor of the film section, which was really fun, and so I'm eternally grateful for head stuff. And uh, you have saved our lives. We are eternally grateful. Exactly. And I, you, I imagine you're the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah. You're no. still a gaming editor. Yeah, it? still set up and s- continue continue to edit the gaming section. So, yeah, no, it's been... Um, submit, if you It's been a wild it. ride, yeah. Submit, yeah. Please submit, yeah. Jesus God. Um, please submit to the gaming section. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> to uh, mark their 10-year anniversary, Heads of have a uh, very cool special offer for listeners. So, uh, listeners, listen up. Get ready to celebrate with us as Headstuff hits a remarkable milestone. That's right, it's our 10-year anniversary and we want to celebrate with you. To mark this special occasion, we're rolling out the red carpet with exciting surprises. For a limited time only, you can subscribe to Headstuff Plus at headstuffpodcast.com and enjoy a 14-day free trial to access ad-free bonus content from all the shows on the network. And if you're already a member, you'll get 20% off all merch from your favourite shows. Thank you for 10 years of support from all the team at Headstuff. I know that fates are also delighted to finally get to tell listeners about Headstuff Plus. Headstuff Plus is the one-stop shop for everything on the Headstuff Podcast Network, Ireland's largest podcast network and the one to which I Know That Face belongs. If you're a fan of I Know That Face or any other shows on the network, become a member of Headstuff Plus and get bonus episodes of Heads of Shows, other exclusive content, merchandise, early access to live events, and lots more. We here at I Know The Face have already recorded a handful of bonus episodes where myself and Andrew talk about more current news and releases in the world of film and TV. But also in the future, we have plans for more actor-themed series as well, along with releasing episode outtakes, accompanying articles, etc. All for Heads of Plus subscribers. 
To sign up to Headstuck Plus, it's just €5 Euro plus VAT per month. When you sign up, no matter what show or shows you are supporting, you still get access to everything. All the bonus material for all the podcasts on the network. A lot of great podcasts. Plus, by doing so, you'll be supporting I Know The Face to bring you more top material. For all the details and to sign up, visit headstuffpodcasts.com. And now, back to the show. All right, we talk about the day trippers. Okay. This is Stephen's attempt to trick me into liking the dry indie movies he knows I hate. Yeah, I try really. Yeah. But the day tri- yeah. didn't work this time. <laughs> <laughs> um, Better look next time. Yeah, when we do the Eichmann series, that's where it really come up. Last days of disco, baby. No. Um, this movie centers around Eliza D'Amico, played by Hope Davis, whose seemingly idyllic marriage in Long Island to Louis, played by Stanley Tucci, is thrown into debt when she discovers what seems like a love letter to him from someone else. As such, she decides to travel into New York City to investigate and is joined on her travels by her parents, Jim, played by uh, Pat McNamara, and Rita, played by Anne Mara. You know Anne Mara is uh, Ben Stiller's mom? I found that out when yes. researching this movie. Yeah. Uh, I know because she's in The King of Queens. Oh, wow. <laughs> with Jerry Stiller. <laughs> um... Her sister Joe, uh, played by Parker Posey, and Joe's living boyfriend Carl, played by Lee Schreiber. And over the course of this day, uh, tensions bubble for everyone as each member of the family is faced with some uncomfortable truths, we'd say. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Very uncomfortable. Ugly truths, even. Ugly yeah. truths. Are you guys going to stay in Michigan? Yeah. Yeah, for now. Carl's got this great job. Oh, it's just construction work. The pay's really good, so... Carl, tell mom and dad about your novel. Carl wrote a novel, everyone. It's great. It's it's just far out. It's brilliant. I don't think your parents want to hear my novel. Mom and dad, do you want to hear about Carl's novel? Oh, yeah, sure, Carl. Well, uh, Rita, it's, it's an allegory about spiritual survival in the contemporary world. The main character is this freak of nature. He's this man who, who doesn't have a normal head. He was, uh, he was born with a dog's head. A dog's head? Yeah, you know, sort of a fantastical story. It's like a fable. Yeah, like a Master and Margarita or... Animal Farm. Animal, yeah, exactly. Very Kafka-esque. Carl, I'm not an educated woman. <laughs> it's Dr. Seuss for adults, Mom. Oh. Oh, yeah. Um, what do you think of this? I think I grew to appreciate this one a bit more after watching after watching it, even if the experience of watching it was unpleasantly boring. <laughs> um, um, I think this is a movie that starts out as like a pretty pleasant family comedy before it morphs into a very ugly family drama about how a support system like like a family can harm you rather than help you. Um, I think all of the characters are pretty well drawn with qualities that are both endearing and infuriating at times, and also most of those qualities are also fatal flaws to a certain degree. There's like Eliza's meekness, uh, the dad's Irish American stoicism, yes. <laughs> uh, the mo- the mother Rita's nosiness, the sister Joe's sort of impetuousness and sort of youthful, I don't know, like joie impatience, <laughs> joie de vivre, yeah. Uh, and Joe's boyfriend Carl's oh, uh, sometimes odd and often insane contrarianism. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. that bit where he's like, "We need a monarchy." <laughs> Yes. What is wrong with you? <laughs> I love that he says that once and you're like, that was kind of weird that he said that. Yeah. And then he really gets raked over the coals for saying it by <laughs> the other rider. And it does feel very Irish, or at least Irish-American, which is, we both know can be good or bad, explosively so in the latter case. Yeah. yeah. No, for sure. Irish yeah. families, yeah. Yeah, you know how it is. Yeah. yeah. I Even um, when you said that, I, I, I didn't react because I'm just like, yeah, truth, man. Yeah. It would be like saying yeah. the sky's blue, you know? <laughs> I think the actors make the characters feel real, even if the time constraints of the script make it seem like none of these issues have ever happened before, especially in a family with a too quiet dad, a too loud mother and two grown daughters. That situation is like pouring petrol on lit dynamite. <laughs> yeah. um, 
and it's it I I found like the Joe and Carl relationship sort of strange because at the at the start she seems like completely infatuated with him. You know, she's sneaking into his room to have sex with him, even though they're like kept separate. But he's like. Oh, we're kind of breaking your mom's rules here. <laughs> like, He's a bit of a stick in the mud. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. But um, and yeah, and maybe that explains why oh, as the movie goes along, she gets more and more sick of him. I think it's the constant like fawning over her mother and her mother's fawning over him, being like, "Oh, he's so impressive." That she's mm. just like by the end of it, being like, <laughs> "Yeah." But at the end of the movie, it seems like no spoilers for most of it. For most of it, but it seems like they're the only two that might end up being kind of okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I pretty much agree. Well, I, I like it a lot more. I don't think it's boring. But um, I, I love the kind of... We find street. it pleasantly boring. I, yeah. Or it's not, like, kind of like dazing and fuse, like a good hang. Like I love mm. the wintry New York setting. I love New York movies in general. I think it's a very funny premise. You have these very rich characters. They're all quite distinct, as you say. Um, well, believe in all of their connections. And you trap them all together in like a confined space for mm. a long time or in like a confined adventure and like sparks are going to fly it's the hateful eight for Irish Americans <laughs> exactly and like um, this is the debut film from Greg Matola, who would go on to make Superbad and Adventureland and oh. um, I recently watched Adventureland for the first time with Jesse Eisenberg and Christian Stewart um, do, how are you going in your Christian Stewart watch poorly let's not get into it I my New Year's resolution for this year is to watch every Every piece of media that Kristen Stewart is in, so far I have watched none of them. But the, <laughs> but the thing that was funny about this is that I asked Andrew, do you have any New Year's resolutions? And I was going to bring up that I was just like, yeah, I just want to make some changes. I want to be less like anxious about everything all the time. And like, I want to like look after my health or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you were like, I'm going to watch all the Kristen Stewart movies. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, start it's small. Great. Yeah, you got you know. to do it. No, um, and like, yeah, Kristen Stewart, fucking Love Lies Bleeding. Yeah, can't wait. Cannot wait. Start with that. Um, but um, I thought like, Adventureland was similar to the Day Trippers in that, like, one, just a funny idea for a movie with Adventureland. Jesse Weisberg wants to travel to Europe, learns last minute that he can't afford it, has to spend a summer work in, like, a cheap local carnival. And also, like, in Adventureland and the Day Trippers, like, the comedy and the drama comes from just well-drawn, distinct characters sort of trapped together. But I even think the Day Trippers has a, a little more juice than Adventureland because watching it, I at least get kind of hooked on the light mystery element of, like, is Louis cheating? Because mm. they seem pretty sincere at the beginning. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um... So Posey plays Eliza's more sort of rebellious younger sister who's in a, um, the relationship with Carl, this sort of, as you said, kind of polite, well-spoken guy, fancies himself a bit of an intellectual, spends a lot of the movie discussing a book he's writing about a prophet with a dog's head. Mm. Didn't sound that bad. No, it could have sounded... Uh, Interesting. It, does, it didn't sound like something I'd read, but it sounded like something that would be long-listed for the Booker Prize. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And I, I, you're right that the pair are very cute together at the beginning of the movie, despite the differences, so like... There's the scene where, as you mentioned, where the, she sneaks into his bed and he kind of rebuffs her. Um, but it's kind of like he's being like, mm. oh, we can't redo this. You mm. know, your mom. Yeah. There's all, I love the whole breakfast table We can't scene. really do this, he said, fully erect. <laughs> <laughs> House rules. You know, your, your mom was very clear. Um, they're sitting around the breakfast table after that. And Joe's mom is complaining about Joe having like the dyed red streak in her hair. And Joe's like drinking Coke from like straight from like the bottle in the fridge and is shouting like, Dad, give us a lift to the station. And Carl's like, this is a wonderful breakfast reader. <laughs> like, it's really funny. And then there's like the bit in the car where um, Eliza asks Carl and Joe what they're going to do when they get to New York City. And she's like shopping. And he's like, oh, I thought we'd check out the Dutch modernism show at the, the Cooper Hewitt. And Joe mouths to Eliza behind Carl's back. No we're not doing that <laughs> but like he can't see it um, really good kind of comedic delivery and physicality 
while also film authentic, I think. Mm. And like, I Posey yeah. can at this stage could sort of do the stuff in her sleep. I was really impressed by Sh- Schreiber in this because, like, yeah. I, I tend to think of him as like you know Sabretooth, you yeah, know, as Ray, Ray Donovan, Donovan yeah, or um, yeah. the guy in Spotlight who's really intense, or Cotton Weary in the Scream movies. Yeah, but um, he's just really light and fun in this. But um, I think like watching Carl and Joe first, you're meant to find them cute while also thinking like, yeah, they're a bit of a weird fit as a couple, and then she progressively gets like more turned off by the way him and her mom act just constantly kind of praising each other or whatever and it's kind of an affront to like her rebellious nature and um she ends up kind of being pushed into the arms of um eddie this uh other writer played by campbell scott who is he's right is this thing where he's like he has a novel that is coming out on the in the publishing firm that louis works at yeah and he ends up helping Eliza to decode the sort of love poem mm. that was sent to her husband, Louis. Yeah. Um, so it's a nice kind of mix of, like, elegant mix of, like, how characters kind of drift in and out of the movie. I yeah. Think. But, um, yeah, just Carol really annoying Joe on the date and also Joe witnessing how her sister's relationship is going with Louis sort of, like, mm. leads her to blow up her life by spontaneously making out with Eddie. And Eddie's presented as this kind of cooler, more intelligent, more successful, more self-assured version of Carl. Um, there's the great bit at the publishing house party that the family go to where they're trying to like find Louis and where Carl and Eddie get into this intellectual debate and Eddie sort of trounces him and then Joe starts arguing Eddie's case and Carl's like, I don't think he really needs your help arguing his side. <laughs> the bit that's hysterical that scene is where Carl sees his professor from college who he loved and he's like, oh, he's, he was the most important person in my life and he sees him as the guy's leaving the party. So Carl like runs out to try to talk to him as he's getting into a cab and he goes up to him and is like, Professor, it's me, Carl Petrovich from college. The professor looks at him with kind of a faint look of recognition makes a sour face, gets right into the taxi, <laughs> never says anything. Yeah. So funny. I would die <laughs> if it happened to me. I'm just glad I didn't have any lectures in college I liked that much. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I think Posey's really good in the gummy bits of the movie. Um, but I, and, you know, I won't spoil specifically what happens, but like the final few scenes of the movie where all the tensions rise to the fore and it becomes a bit more dramatic and her character Joe is like screaming at Carl and Rita and trying to comfort Eliza. Posey really brings it, mm, and you're, yeah. you're, you, uh, it feels authentic and raw. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, you got, you kind of get the sense that she's one of the few in the car, or she's at least one of at least two people in the car that are really there for Eliza and not for their yes. own, out of their own sense of curiosity or just tagging along. Well, it really does feel that the revelation of the movie is that, like, how much of Eliza's relationship with Louis was dictated by like her mother being like, oh, he's a, he's a he's a really great guy. Mm, you should, yeah, you, you should yeah. he's a really respectable man. You yeah. should settle down with him. And I think that is a similar thing that she's doing with Joe and Carl, where she's mm. she's yeah, like, oh, yeah, Carl, like yeah. he's he's clever. He's a writer. You know, yeah. he's got ambition, and it's just not maybe what Joe needs. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But um, again, and with the, all these movies, I think they're kind of deceptively what on the the face of it might seem a little bit like low stakes and yeah. actually become sort of deceptively interesting and kind of clever. Um, yeah, I mean, let's, let's be real here. It wasn't a Christopher Abbott situation where, like, you know, I hated every every second It's Abbott of season, guys. baby. Poor things. Check out that. I couldn't give a shit about poor things. If he's in it, no thank you. <laughs> he, just, he literally walks into the last 50 minutes of poor things and it's just like, mic drop. So good. <laughs> Gonna be the wolf man. Oh, God. Yeah, season. well, in fairness, if anyone can play a wolf... He's he's he's, he's got guy, rage. Yeah. He's got hair. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, House of Yes. Yes. Okay. While it was running, I was not bored. That's wrote Roger Ebert. 
Sadly, I can't say the same. <laughs> oh, okay. I was like, I thought your take of it was going to be like, look, I hated it, but while I was on, interesting. Not even that. I could see how there is a movie I would like in it. This just wasn't that movie. Sure. Based on the play of the same name by Wendy McLeod, the movie takes place over Thanksgiving in 1983. This is as Marty Pascal, uh, played by Kicking and Screaming's Josh Hamilton, a reunion, yay, mm. um, brings his new fiance Leslie, played by Tori Spelling of Beverly Hills 90210 fame. Well, that was really good in this. Yeah. Good kind of doe-eyed character, finds a little inner strength as the movie goes on. Really yeah. believed in her. Um yeah, he's bringing basically his fiance to his childhood home to meet his wealthy family for the first time. The Pascal family consists of matriarch and widow Mrs. Pascal, played by Genevieve Bougeau, who you may know from like Dead Ringers and Obsession, the Brian De Palma movie. She's great. Um, Marty's younger, less intelligent brother, Anthony, played by Freddie Prince Jr. And Marty's twin sister, who goes by the name Jackie O, played by Parker Posey. Um, this is because she has a morbid fascination with Jackie Kennedy Onassis and the Kennedy assassination. Only recently released from a psychiatric hospital, Jackie O, who harbors this strange obsession with her twin Marty, becomes fixated with breaking him and Leslie up. Tell me, Leslie, have you ever been to Washington before? <clears throat> no. Not even on a field trip? Not even on a fifth grade field trip? No, I mean my class went, but I didn't go. In fifth grade, really? Sixth, sixth grade. So you just snubbed it? You just snubbed your nation's capital? <clears throat> my parents wouldn't let me go. What's their number? What do you mean? How could they have ruined a perfectly good field trip, really? People like that burn me up. Don't they burn you up, Marty? They didn't have the money. What a lie. How much could it have cost? Too much. Were you poor? Did you eat chicken pot pies? Pancakes. A lot of pancakes. Pancakes. Pancakes, Marty. So how did you pull yourself out? Out of poverty, I mean. I left Pennsylvania. Well, that was a step in the right direction, clearly. Do they have paintings in Pennsylvania? Jackie. This one is on me because I didn't realise she, was, she wasn't playing like a fucked up version of Jackie O until the middle. I thought she was genuinely Jackie O. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> yeah. That is funny because I was going to say that like this movie's super weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've been going down this like 90s indie American cinema sojourn as I was saying and I kept seeing this title The House of Yes probably because like it's Parker Posey was in it Josh Hamilton and I didn't know anything about it except what is on his poster which is an incredible poster because it's Parker Posey smiling dressed as Jackie Onassis with a gun in her hands which are behind her back she's smiling and the title is this kind of classic pink font that says House of Yes which mm. is kind of an enigmatic memorable title you're yeah. like what does that mean what is the House of Yes and um, I thought it was going to be more of like a satire of like a social class climber mm. I wouldn't even put this in like the day trippers dazed and confused kicking and screaming category no, this is a- like more like one of those Tracy Letts or like Sam Shepard plays it's very much his own beast yeah but with the comedy really at the fore mm. to the extent where it's like because it, it's really like this taboo subject matter and like these dark family dynamics and it's kind of like about the darkness of America you know like the, 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 in the psyche but then it's you, all you, just kind of like yeah, you catchy get, wishy remarks yeah. and it's shot like real kitschy in camp like yeah. very bright or you get Freddie Prince Jr. saying stuff like I've never been to a hurricane before yeah it's, <laughs> while there's a storm outside I must say was pretty compelled by the mix I don't I would never maybe like I completely understand if it's not for everybody but while it was on I, I was kind of a Roger Ebert where I was like the game that this movie is doing where it's like how seriously should I be taking this mm. is this movie really interested in like the darkness 
not even like lingering under the surface like ne- very near the surface yeah. how interested is it really in that or is it just like an act of provocation um i found that all um compelling and i i will say i thought this movie it kind of lingered with me after whereas like i there's kind of a revelation in like the final moments of the movie about like that provides a little bit more context for why jackie o is the way she is that i thought was pretty haunting spit the the father the, the flat no the well there's a there's that a little mm. bit but more the kind of flashback where oh yeah 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 that's true yeah but um so I kind of I like the movies the movie for that word like the dark ending mm. but I also think Parker Posey is such a force of nature and is such both like a strong comedic and dramatic actress that she somehow embodies but the broad campy kitschy comedy element and the darker underlying element into one performance and I think like House of Yes is her taking that sort of cheery rebellious quality I mentioned to like its most extreme to like its nay plus ultra so much of the movie is her is Jackie O's Stockton lines looking so glamorous and she's got this big exaggerated grin on her face and she's just belittling or hurling insults <laughs> at her brother's fiance Leslie and at first they're like a little subtle like Leslie will say something a little off kilter and like maybe like uninformed and you see Posey as Jackie O like kind of condescendingly giggle like can you believe this mm. But then later, Jackie O just starts like straight up insulting her, where she, <laughs> Jackie O and Marty are talking about how they can speak other languages, and Leslie is like, "I can say I love you in sign language," and like gives a demonstration, and Jackie O says, "Don't leave this girl alone with any handsome deaf mutes, Marty. That's my <laughs> advice to you." And then Leslie mentions this is her first time in Washington, and Jackie O keeps like probing her, is like, "How could that be? How could it be?" And she ends up saying like, "I never got to go on any like school trips because my parents couldn't afford it," mm. and then. um Jackie O is like, and how did you pull yourself out of poverty? (laughs) And then there's a part where she's like trying to like deflect from the situation. Leslie starts like looking at like a painting and she's like, do you have paintings in Pennsylvania? Like uh, all those lines I think are really funny. Mm. And she's also like shamelessly flirting with Marty in front of Leslie. And you're kind of laughing because you're like, like, I can't believe she said or was doing that or like, that's so bad. (laughs) But you're also thinking this is like an unwell woman, like this is an unwell person. Mm. And you have that feeling in the pit of your stomach like, oh god, this is leading to like a really disturbing revelation or yeah. something really violent. And I think it's a testament to Posey's skill that like she manages to make the viewer think about Jackie O like, God, this character is not a nice person. While also, I don't know about you, but I, I felt, especially with the revelation in the end, sympathy for her that like the character is not well and troubled even if she may not realise that or mm. like be able to address it in like a serious manner. And um, I just I don't know if you've seen this, but the letterbox reviews for this movie are hysterical because there's so many that are just like I could fix her. <laughs> people writing things like Emerald Fennel shaking. <laughs> this movie is very salt burny, just with the kind of mix of like comedy and pop style, and also like the provocation kind of element of it. Yeah, but um, so and nothing you like about it? Uh, it's not that I didn't like it. I admire what the House of Yes is trying to do. I just think that it could maybe do away with the whole Jackie O thing and the weird stagey wordplay feel of its dialogue in favor of like. Something just I would I, what I really want is like a nasty thriller out of it. Yeah, uh, it's but it's made for the guy who would go on and make Mean Girls, and it really does feel of a kinship yeah, with Mean yeah, Girls. Yeah, yeah, and these things. In fairness, those thrillers were a dime a dozen in the nineties, and uh, I think a lot more entertaining than this. But just because we lost one, we lose out on one does is not a bad thing. Um, I think it's wonderfully lit and has a great gothic feel to it. Uh, but I never really laughed at any of its jokes or believed in its overt theatric- theatricality. Uh, let me just see if that last point is worth saying. No. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I thought Parker Posey was good at the, the whole thing. I think she's... Um, 
I like a performance and all the performances here even if the film itself didn't do it for me yeah I think she keeps the train on the tracks yeah very much yeah. so yeah yeah. Um, that bit where she's uh, how comb, brushed all her hair over her face and she just looks like Samara from the ring <laughs> yeah but with like a 20s like bob cut I know sometimes the dialogue is overly stagey but I like the bit where um, she has the gun and her mom is real freaked out it's like why do you have that gun what, what's it doing on the table and she's like just being gun iconic gun like she starts making all like these puns about like just there being gun-esque just there being like it's pretty funny um, so we've the way it kind of worked out on this episode is that like we've focused entirely on Parky's like very prolific 90s run in US cinema mm. but at the turn of the millennium a lot of those movies stopped getting made or at least you know weren't made at as big of like a frequency yeah there's probably like a ton of reasons for that like the market maybe getting oversaturated major filmmakers of that movie going on to make bigger films the increased emphasis with hollywood studios of making kind of those kind of like four quadrant blockbusters mm. you know so the movies that were packer posies like bread and butter kind of stopped getting made and you sort of see her throughout the kind of 2000s applying her wild energy we've highlighted into playing either kind of like kooky supporting characters or villainous henchmen in like big blockbusters or bigger movies so there's like scream 3 which she's the best part of, where she's playing like the actress who's playing Courtney Cox in the movie that they're making within the Scream world that's based on the events of the first Scream. Yeah. Um, I think she's really fun in that. She's in Blade Trinity and Superman Returns playing the villainous henchwoman. I think she's really good in both of those movies, but they're kind of disappointments critically. Yeah. I The thing I remember most out of Superman Returns, out of anything, is bald Kevin Spacey on a desert island with Parker Posey saying I would trade every drop of your blood for half a gallon of gas to get me <laughs> off this island yeah there's the uh, like even I remember there's a bit in Blade where she's like he wants to drink blood <laughs> and I, like she has like mad line deliveries yeah. um, she, I think it's just a kind of bad look Scream 3 is even like the less well regarded one even though she's really good in it Blade yeah, 3 she's... is unquestionably the worst of the Blade movie Superman Returns is a bit of a disappointment yeah and she does kind of get killed off early she's like one of the first ones killed off in Scream 3 I think I, I thought she I think she's like two thirds of the way in maybe I'm wrong yeah, yeah. but um she's one of the villains in Josie and the Pussycats which is now like a beloved movie I've actually never seen it but um is a kind of a cult favourite but was a big flop yeah um and she always has those kind of auteurs that she can go back to and like make movies with, like Christopher Guest or Hal Hartley, who we haven't talked about their movies, but she she's frequent collaborators with them. But even they stopped making kind of movies at the same pace that they once did. So it seems like she was in the wilderness for a while. Mm, yeah. And my theory on her recent return is that she's being cast in projects now by a younger generation of filmmakers, like Ari Aster or Antonio Campos or Donald Glover or Kagan Ada. And Mike White's maybe a bit of a contemporary, but like he's maybe like a couple of years behind her. And they all probably grew up loving like those 90 indie yeah, US movies yeah. and thinking Posey's really cool. And that's the case. They're right. You know? Yeah, she is really cool. So yeah. um, I'm very excited to see her in uh, The White Lotus and I hope she gets cast in more projects going yeah. forward. Best of luck, Parker. Um, one of the cool things about doing this podcast is that once in a while I'll get offered a screener and I won't really have any place to like kind of write about it. But I do have this podcast, so I'm going to just talk briefly about two movies that I got screeners for recently, one of which is called Restore Point, which I thought was really good. It's a sci-fi mystery from the Czech Republic, and set in the near future in the country. People have a constitutional right to one whole life. So when someone dies an unnatural death, there's this innovative technology that can resuscitate them, provided the person has routinely backed up their brain data every 48 hours. 
any more than that it doesn't work the movie centres around a young detective named M who's on the trail of a group called the River of Life who are rebelling against this unnatural resurrection technology by disrupting civilian life through terrorist attacks and she has a personal connection to the group personal vendetta you could say so uh, when the scientist who developed this recovery technology and his wife are murdered M is puzzled that of all people they didn't have valid recovery points with which to bring them back to life so M starts investigating really like this um it's not the most unique sci-fi in the world it definitely feels like um a czech filmmaker trying to make a hollywood movie as opposed to putting like subverting one or like putting a more kind of european spin on it but the mystery is really engrossing futuristic environment looks sleek and glossy there's a lot of fun to be had with the restore point technology plot wise that they can like take advantage of i watched a dub version of this which was pretty good but i was actually thinking like i'd like to see it again with subtitles but not just for that reason just because like i really enjoyed it Mm, um good vibes um another movie i watched and this fits in more with the podcast because it's a folk horror movie it's called lovely dark and deep which is Is that the one with morford clark no, no, it's with Georgina Campbell from Barbarian, isn't it? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, it's named after like a, a great Robert Frost poem, or a line from a great Robert Frost poem. So it sends around this park ranger uh, with the dark past, who's played by Campbell. Yes, I know of us. I watched the trailer. Yes, yeah, so she's assigned to a forest where there's been several mysterious disappearance and uh, weird things start to happen while she's mm-hmm. out there. It starts off really good. There's this amazing first scene where you see like her predecessor, and there's like a sign that's outside their post that they can like leave messages and he writes just the message I owe this forest a body and then just walks into the woods mm-hmm. and then later on you see like a disappearance poster for him you know right, missing yeah. persons poster and you're just like oh we are in for a treat and it's first half is real mood between like Campbell's brooding increasingly panicked performance and just these great ominous shots of nature I found it, it kind of descended into this hallucinatory second half that I thought was very repetitive mm. repetitive and I thought some of the eventual plot explanations were silly but there's some good stuff in there for folk horror fans yeah. I'll say um, so yeah both of those movies are out on VOD in the states for our US listeners but Irish viewers should keep an eye out for their release in the future is that everything? I think so. Yeah. Great. Uh, email I know the facepod at gmail.com if you'd like to reach out to the show. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Please leave us an iTunes rating if you would be so kind. Uh, for those who want more of the pod, sign up to Headstuff Plus for €5 Euro plus tax a month where you can listen to exclusive bonus episodes of the show. For a limited time, you can also get a 14-day free Headstuff Plus trial to mark 10 years of Headstuff. Andrew, uh, where can people find more of your work? Find me at the Headstuff Gaming section where we talk about what we play, why we play, and how we play it. And at fortnightfrights.wordpress.com where I talk about the most influential horror movie of a specific year over the last hundred years we are moving on to Psycho next week oh, wow. we've finally hit the big time incredible yeah. check that out um, you can check me out at joe.e see you later cinephiles bye bye this show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network a hub for the creative and the curious Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.